Welcome to Starkly. This episode is part of a series rethinking and exploring leadership and decision intelligence pedagogy. Today, we're exploring play as a form of intelligence. Right out of the gate, I want the good people listening to deeply understand just how deviant this podcast is. We are not trying to conform and also not trying to abandon existing structures. And we're not speaking as academics, but we are challenging the social conditioning and how people make decisions and what they prioritize. These concepts are impossible to learn from a book or from listening to a podcast. It's like swimming. You have to do it. To put it into practice, you will need help. You can't just hop in the deep end. And in order to do the concepts justice, we cover a lot of ground intentionally. So these episodes are meant to be listened to in a time and a space where you have the ability to spend the time reflecting. Yeah, these are just introductions and we're inviting some contemplation. These happen to be countercultural too. And so Nicole, you said Starkly is about offering a deviance in the way that we're thinking. And so some of this stuff might be surprising. For instance, this episode's about the intelligence of playing the fool. And what we're doing here is we're purposely inverting things to find out what we could be missing in the day-to-day to introduce more people to these concepts earlier in their decision-making processes, as well as to offer ourselves up as helpers. Who is this podcast for? If these ideas resonate with you, we want to work with you because you're already vetted as someone who's willing to work outside the typical conformist system. This episode is part of a series, Rethinking and Exploring Leadership and Decision Intelligence Pedagogy. Today, we're exploring play as a form of intelligence. So we're going to be deconstructing what happens in real play to learn the value then apply those principles in all areas of life. To begin with a basic definition so that we're all on the same page, play is something that's voluntary and it's something that's not driven by an external goal. The form of play that we're talking about, it's something that is emergent. There's no other purpose for it other than to play. There's not a particular outcome that is designed or required on the people who are playing. What we're talking about is not the typical form of play, engaging creativity or the imagination. What sports did you grow up playing? Playing an actual game with a score and where the goal is to win. That's all programmed play. Instead, we're introducing concepts that we believe are elements underpinning the form of play that we can use as a form of intelligence. To start off with an example, I have four brothers and grew up with a lot of wrestling. And this is a great metaphor for the kind of play that we're speaking to, which is there's a place where randomly, by surprise, one of my siblings attacks the other. And there's this element of something that you're not really prepared for. You didn't actually plan in your schedule. It was something that somebody just decided to randomly attack. And there you go. And you're all on the floor and you're having it out. All of us kids knew, and of course, parents understand this too, that if you're going to play with this kind of physicality and a kind of full contact, somebody's going to get hurt, right? That's like... (laughs) That's always the thing. Somebody's going to hurt. So as the only girl, I had a disadvantage of strength. And I was also always the one that was most hurt as a result. There was multiple learnings that occurred. I had to learn where I was strong and double down on that, leverage my strength, which was in my legs, and then find weaknesses of my opponents. (laughs) 
one brother was wildly ticklish while all of them were pretty ticklish and I wasn't. So then I had a different tool, a different offense to use tickling when I really got into bind. The other thing that was learning was I had to discover my threshold for pain. And in the process, growing up, doing this over and over, we all end up having an increased tolerance for pain. And when we're playing with others, we can observe other people's tolerance for pain. So my brothers had to learn how far they could push me. They had to learn the signals and the signs of being too much and knowing how to back off. All of these kind of things are deep intelligence and in, in terms of how you move around each other. And in the context of play, how that builds a safe area to do some dangerous things. What I learned from this in terms of the physical nature of it is that it transfers to a mental and emotional intelligence as well. How to play with others, how to communicate, what to communicate, at what points. There's a strategy involved, there's leveraging involved, there's movement in terms of uh, proximity toward and away, learning strengths, learning weaknesses of others, of yourself, tolerances, like to what degree we have an increased or a decreased tolerance and for what? How can we be provoked, physically provoked, mentally provoked, emotionally provoked, right? And you know, kids can be really mean. <laughs> humans can be mean to each other. So there are all of these elements at play and yet still within a pretty safe context. So I think this is a great metaphor for what we're speaking about here in terms of the kinds of intelligence that emerges in play. And then we extend this into other particulars. The particular of being the fool in this example, that would be a willingness to have your utter weakness and defeat experienced and exposed. <laughs> and this definitely doesn't feel good. And I think all of us kids can relate to this, right? It's like, oh man, you know, my, my sibling just got over on me and I absolutely did not win. So it's a place where we learn how to lose. It's a place where we learn how to stop and we learn how to go and we learn how to win. All of these things become really important in terms of managing our emotions, our mental capacities, and then the physicality for how we enter, not just ourselves, but the others who are involved. That's exactly why we framed this as a core skill, because similar to learning the skill of wrestling, you can learn the skill of play. And by deconstructing, I mean, there were so many elements that you mentioned. You started off with surprise, right? And how this lack of not being overly constructed is a core element of play, as well as risk limitations, finding your own line and finding the line of the other offense, getting hurt. Like whenever we would wrestle as kids, my dad would be in the background going, somebody's going to get hurt. There's awkwardness. So we're going to explore teasing is another big one. We're also going to look at playing with identity and how we can, when we're not so attached to winning, actually take on different forms and try different things. There's this place of discomfort, something that's uh, not normal, that's outside of what you expect, outside of the rules or constructs of society, right? It's like where somebody's randomly coming up and twisting your arm or you're randomly coming up and twisting someone's arm. There's something not just distracting, but disrupting. Difficult to point to, but I think this metaphor does a good job of revealing the layers. One of the things that came to mind for me, because I also have multiple siblings, alliances formed through this kind of group 
play, which was really interesting to think again, to translate into business, how you could find how to leverage each other in certain moments. And you already started to note in order to know your limitations, there is a need to push the boundaries. In a previous conversation, you gave a good example about race cars. Motorcycle drivers, race car drivers, fighter pilots. <laughs> there is a necessity of understanding your tools and the machines that we work with. And that is in context of your own skill. And most skillful pilots or drivers will intentionally put themselves in dangerous situations where they're finding the edge of their ability in contact with the machine's capabilities. And this is also a great metaphor in the sense of what we do with others is there's these places where we're finding our own edges and the edges of the tools or the other individuals that we're working with. Where are their edges? Where are their limitations? And I think that this is part and a very important part of play is that there's both a particular kind of risk and also a, a particular kind of safety. We think about the amount of power that is held within not taking yourself so seriously and being able to push those boundaries and limitations. So the concept of like the town jester or the class clown came to mind. They can look at a group and actually, you know, provoke or push people to push their limits. Can we allow each other freedom as humans Inside knowing that there's a particular intelligence when we engage playful provocation, playful teasing, playful uh, poking at one another. A team member and I recently canvassed a coworker's office top to bottom in Packers paraphernalia because they're a diehard Bears fan. And then we walked away for the day knowing they were going to find it in the morning. And there was this definite risk where it was like, okay, we know how we intended it, but we had no control over how they would perceive it or respond to it. And so part of this risk is that there could be an offense that you're not in control of, but you're willing to take that bet because of the fun and playfulness and the benefits that can build from a relationship standpoint. Yeah, I love this example because this is the kind of offense that we're speaking about. You know, to be clear, we're not talking about deeply <laughs> offensive things, particularly like around sexism and racism and ableism, these kind of things that are not funny. But there are these other places that are less so. And this is what we're speaking to in the sense of to poke a little bit, to hurt a little bit like siblings do. This is a form of play where we can get to know each other and we can learn how people respond and if they're able to take the themselves less seriously, or if they're not, and how that might translate in terms of business dealings. Being able to experiment with limitations and pushing boundaries and potentially offending someone is a way to test those limits in a low risk environment. This can be a huge tool and actually kind of a leapfrog. We talk about building the skills. There's all kinds of ways to build trust and problem solve, but we're positioning play as a fast track to accelerate how quickly you can get to this place and build this skill. This is something that can be transferred in, in every area of our life, you know, whether it's romantic or friendly or business or even academic. And these skills can reduce stress and can reveal certain truths, can build trust, can bring on different kinds of information. And it also enables us to not take ourselves so seriously. It helps with humility and perspective and an ability to adapt to whatever human is in front of us or a circumstance that's in front of us. 
So where do you see the intelligence that we can gain from the awkwardness that ensues by playing in these non-scripted games? Well, first, I think that our society see awkwardness as negative. So right out of the gate, I'd like to push back against that. Awkwardness is a part of our humanness, right? Like there is no human that has never experienced moments of awkwardness. It is a part of being human. Awkwardness, I think, is associated with something that's so uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable because it isn't smooth and uh, refined in a way. This ends up being an obstacle to our ability to relate to other humans and an ability to understand the places in ourselves that are less perfect. The question that, that we're begging here is, is awkwardness bad? Is there something that awkwardness creates that's fundamentally negative? And I just haven't seen it. There's a lot of people who are awkward and nerdy people are all different kinds of people, even the most smooth humans that are in sales and you know have moments of awkwardness. And I think this isn't something that we should avoid, but something that is important to this idea of how we can be willing to play the fool. When we have a higher tolerance, we experience less shame and less weight about what others think of us. So there's this place where we can practice a kind of confidence and a place where we're uncomfortable with ourselves or with each other in a way that allows us to accept our humanity and to not require ourselves or others to be so perfect, which ends up being an overly performative. So that's less honest and more opportunity to judge ourselves and judge each other, which increases our collective shame. And I understand this is a little complex because there's a there's many points of intersection here around shame, playing the fool, awkwardness, discomfort, but these are all really related. I remember being teamed up with a group of six other coworkers on, you know, a single day the company had set aside for essentially team building. And I remember how awkward it was because you just don't know who you're going to get paired with. So all of a sudden, are you spending the day with the CEO or the engineer that you've never met? Or maybe you've got three buddies on the team and there's three other people that you need to integrate into that team in order to be successful regardless of how awkward it felt, definitely in the morning and sort of still midday, by the end of the day, we were all joking around, playing, like we had overcome the discomfort of having to perform, you know, challenging tasks and put our heads together and problem solve together. And so I think that's where awkwardness has shown me when you overcome it and you sit with the discomfort how you can really unlock the power of a really diverse team. But we're so conditioned to want to be comfortable and be with like others. And that also, because of the urgency of the challenge, it didn't give us the time to stop and perform. We were acting instinctively and that created a ton of awkwardness, but also a ton of fun. Yeah. This example also points to the potential to gain speed and how we adjust ourselves. So if we can be more free in how we show up imperfect or awkward or less hitting the mark, that we can quickly adjust and find those places that do combined with not requiring ourselves to hit the mark because it's unnecessary. And there's these places that are very interesting just in a different way when there's awkwardness and not hitting a perfect social tone. 
that this is really a place of curiosity and there's a place where we can accept that in ourselves and others versus being judgmental that this person doesn't have the skills or doesn't deserve to be in these kind of environments when we might be very well missing very specific parts of their intelligence that are more atypical just because we have a low tolerance for something that is slightly uncomfortable or miss the mark a little bit. This is something to bring attention to in terms of our limitation, that our low tolerance for awkwardness is more often than not a personal limitation and how much we miss when we have expectations that there are no awkwardness. I was reminded of this concept of playing the fool in the Hard Knock show where all the rookies had to give performances in front of their full training camp and how they were subjected to this real vulnerable place where they had to get completely out of their comfort zone. And there were definitely people wadding up paper and throwing it at them and booing them off the stage. And then there were absolute, you know, standing ovations and applause. There's a place where we can be absurd in the sense of exaggerating and being satirical, having a kind of role play of lying, engaging in parody. Like these are kind of absurd places. Playing the fool allows us to experiment and explore areas that are less typical, that are less acceptable. It's an intelligence in terms of discovery. What are the things that we're experiencing in those moments? And then how is the environment responding to us? And also to make light. I mean, comedy is based on this concept. The absurdity reveals a truth that some people cannot see outside the extreme. This is the position of playing the fool, is the intelligence of having something become so clear inside the absurdity, inside the foolishness. This is what satire is built on. Yeah, it takes me to not only roasts, but improv, where there's so much we can learn from, you know, we have people on stage playing the role of the fool in this not overly constructed concept where anything can emerge. And so something that isn't what you expect comes your way and that creates something new. And that's what we're talking about. What we're saying is, is that just being free to play will have the inevitable result of all of these advantages of trust and stress reduction and taking ourselves less seriously and having humility. Sales teams sometimes get blamed. They're making too much noise. They're bouncing balls. They're not getting any work done. Ultimately, people think, oh, they're just having too much fun, right? And it's, they're dissed for it. Like it's not valued. I'm pushing back against the perception that salespeople are not actually engaging in this really intelligent form of stress relief. And we think about, you know, other departments engaging uh, sort of the concept of play and what it's not and what it is. And so we think about marketing doing like a brainstorming session where it's highly collaborative and it's meant to be playful and fun. But the problem is in that construct, if there is a specific intended goal or outcome, then we negate some of those elements that we can extract from just playing for the sake of playing. And then another example is with a hackathon that really highlights the factor of emergence and what can come as a result of just engaging play for the sake of play. One of the benefits that we briefly mentioned earlier was about reducing stress 
not taking ourselves so seriously. And then play can be a vehicle for hearing really difficult things in a softer way. It's something that the Air Force trains. I was speaking with another person in the Air Force who had been in for 45 years about how he engaged play as we had been talking about how the military does this so masterfully and it's really part of the culture. He did refueling. So midair, really close to other planes flying very fast. And he had to thread the needle, which was this hose to be able to refuel midair. And so I asked him, how does he engage play in a scenario like that? Assuming that it's like, once you thread the needle, then you make the joke. And he said it would be right before they would absolutely give somebody shit or say something funny to break the ice. And so you think about stress mitigation in a highly trained, highly technical role like that. It just reframed how I think about playing in, in terms of where it fits. We also see salespeople with the wit and the charm and their ability to engage play, disarming prospects, knowing when to take really calculated risks to bring humor. And there's always a risk there that you might offend to these situations that make them a lot more human. And it's just, it's masterful. It's amazing to watch folks navigate this landscape and bring the elements of play that are a very strategic form of intelligence. There's a culture that we were talking about earlier where sales leaders can build this ability for others to be more daring. Those people who are skillful at playing, we love to work with. We love to be friends with. One thing that we clearly value as humans is charming individuals. And I think charm is in this area of play. <laughs> it kind of straddles teasing and flirtation and playing the fool, right? Where you're able to soften and engage people in a way that's playful and intelligent and acknowledging and funny. If you've ever seen improv, if one person has their defenses up and they get really flustered or embarrassed, all of a sudden the show stops. People are just in this kind of banter and this flow. And this is what we're pointing to in terms of where the release of actual benefits are when it comes to using play and the intelligence of play in the business world. In one word, we could sum up play as one of the ultimate expressions of freedom where humans are free to express and to be not just one thing, but to engage all of these places in a way that is fun and experimental with a different kind of weight. And then what emerges from that is people can let their guard down. The real truth emerges when people are not so consumed with how do I perform in this situation? This is where the intelligence really surfaces. When you create an environment where playing the fool is the norm and everyone can take a piss at everyone else, you can uncover so much more depth in relationship and free people to be creative. They can say things that other people can't get away with saying because of the environment. There are certain people who can be performatively playful. <laughs> and I think that maybe this is the category that we're speaking about with, you know, team building exercises, right? Where there is an expectation and a goal orientedness that sabotages what a more true playfulness is. And in terms of uh, something that's emergent, something that is more integrated into who we are versus something that we are performing. 
in order to get a particular result. And we all know those people that are overly performing playfulness that actually becomes a form of manipulation. We're not speaking about that kind. We talked earlier in the wrestling example about how you found your own weaknesses and limitations as you were engaged in this form of play. And then we're able to compensate them with examples like the fact that you had stronger legs than arms or were the least techlish. So what are you hoping that leaders can learn in terms of how to find and test limitations? Learning how to be playful leads us to be open, receptive, be more curious, and to take things less seriously, where there's a softness and there's a place that's less fixed, right? All of these qualities are really intense leadership qualities. Playfulness is a place where all of these skills are exercised. And returning to the metaphor of, you know, wrestling with my brothers, it helped me understand that when we engage fully, we will get hurt. It will be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it can also be fun and productive. We can win and lose in a different kind of way. And we can learn how to recover and we can re-engage and we can maintain our trust with those that we are engaging. These are all basic leadership skills. When you think about it, having a high tolerance for pain actually allows us to be more resilient and it allows us to be more persistent. If we have a low tolerance for pain, we eject too quickly and it's very difficult to get things done, very difficult to build businesses. And we know this with most entrepreneurs and leaders generally have a pretty high pain tolerance because it's, <laughs> it's required. But how can we mitigate or release some of the pain by being playful and also release and mitigate some of the stress, which in turn releases and mitigates some of the risk. There's places where we take risks to mitigate risk, learning how all of these things are in the same domain. And it, it requires risk to learn playfulness because it can be awkward. It can uh, throw people off. It can loosen your identity. And this is exactly what we're encouraging is to put ourselves in positions where we might be embarrassed, to loosen our identity, to loosen the judgment that we have on ourselves and others to be perfect, which ends up being very performative and in many ways dishonest and actually reduces the ability that others have to trust us. One of the outcomes stemming from this concept of emergence in play is that You'd said previously, it teaches us how to dig into the places where we're smarter and adjust the areas where we have less capacity. We can't gain capacity or build tolerance outside of being able to see the intersections of where we're weak and where we're strong. What are the skills that exist that we're not using masterfully? And then also, where are the points where we can grow, where we have limitation? Playfulness and playing the fool can teach us those things. They can reveal those things. And then in turn, they build our capacity. Play is one of the quickest and most authentic ways to get this deep, deep learning and build the skills, not just of learning how to play, but all of the leadership skills that come as a result of engaging in play. Starkly is a place to have conversations about skills that lead to broad and deep leadership development. So broad in the sense that it covers a lot of skills that aren't often brought into the business world. 
and deep in the sense that it explores how to integrate those skills into who we are as people. And what we have found is that that leads to outcomes that are less driven towards normal success metrics and more so outcomes that are successes as a byproduct of becoming. So that's the invitation. So we're here to introduce concepts and give you stuff to think about. But when you work with us, you will get more concrete examples within the context of you and your life and your business. We have several episodes about core skills that help develop decision intelligence, and we invite you to listen to them all. For today, thanks for listening to Engage or Work With Us. Reach out via the link in our show notes and make sure to click the follow button so you don't miss out on future episodes.